So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the uh, okay. hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't know how about you all? I'm joking. I use V. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. listening to the show for the last, I don't know how many episodes, uh, you know that I have been reading the uh, memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. And um, I got to a passage that I want to, I want to share because, because I literally just read this earlier today and um, well, I'll, I'll get into why, why it struck me here in a moment. I think it'll be pretty clear as I read it. Uh, so he is uh, kind of in, in this in this passage to give you a little background. Uh, this is at the conclusion of military action in the Mexican War. Okay, and he's he's kind of giving commentary on on the war overall, his experiences and what have you. Uh, so let's see. Uh, <clears throat> the Mexicans have shown a patriotism which it would be well if we would imitate in part but with more regard to truth. They celebrate the anniversaries of Chapultepec and Molino del Rey as of very great victories. They they were not. Just as as a side note, Chapultepec and Molino del Rey were both American victories. The anniversaries are recognized as national holidays. At these two battles, while the United States troops were victorious, it was at very great sacrifice of life compared with what the Mexicans suffered. The Mexicans, as on many other occasions, stood up as well as any troops ever did. The trouble seemed to be the lack of experience among the officers, which led them after a certain time to simply quit without being particularly whipped, but because they had fought enough. 
their authorities of the present day grow enthusiastic over their theme when telling of these victories and speak with pride of the large sum of money they forced us to pay in the end. With us, now 20 years after the close of the most stupendous war ever known, we have writers who profess devotion to the nation engaged in trying to prove that the Union forces were not victorious practically, they say. We were slashed around from Donaldson to Vicksburg and to Chattanooga, and in the east from Gettysburg to Appomattox, when the physical rebellion gave out from sheer exhaustion. There is no difference in the amount of romance of the two stories. I would not have the anniversaries of our victories celebrated, nor those of our defeats made fast days and spent in humiliation and prayer, but I would like to see truthful history written. Hmm. That was published in 1885-86. So, 20 years after the war, and that is a that is a contemporaneous account of the birth of the lost cause narrative. And and nothing has changed. <laughs> like it's been close to 140 years. And and we're we're still having to undo the pernicious lies about, you know the union only won because fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So anyway, I got to that and, and immediately like had mm. to take a deep breath, put the book down. Cause I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. So yeah, that's, that is uh, what, what I've had going on uh, in the last day or two. How about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a U.S. history teacher and a uh, Latin teacher here at the high school level up here in Northern California. Uh, I got to say that actually uh, it feels like that is a direct response to the Dunning School. Like like you said, it's contemporaneous. Mm -hmm. Um, It's contemporaneous with Dunning School, like 100 percent. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but what I've got going on is uh, at my last uh, pun show, uh, mm. Capital Punishment's last show, uh, we had a contestant on who, uh, so so uh, without drawing the curtain back too far, um, what I found in the six years of doing this show is that um, there are a couple different kinds of people who come on to our show. Some are people who kick off their shoes and throw caution to the wind and jump all in. And that's met with uh, success and failure, both spectacularly. Um, okay. Then, then there's people who, uh, and this tends to be comics more than anybody else. And it could just be that I have a higher sample number too. There's people who engage in psychological self-preservation. Uh, they will say on stage, well, I haven't even prepared for this. Or, I don't even know what a pun is or, or, or as Mm -hmm. though I cast people on the show and book people on the show just at random. Like, like they happen to be walking by and I left Reese's pieces out for them or something. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a weird form of kayfabe. It, It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole show is kayfabed up, but, uh, except like it's, it's, um, 
except for the actual competition aspect of it. Like the rest of it's okay. fully kayfabe, but um, yeah, I mean, you've been on it, you know. Yeah. Um. So the the psychological self preservation was strong. Uh, the energy was lowish um, mm. amongst multiple on the show. Um, and and I was, you know, I, I, I've been spoiled by the success of the show. So I was, you know, trying to talk myself through that. But as the night wore on, a contestant uh, who started with all of the psychological self-preservation tools in place, but apparently none of the preparation in place, started getting good and really good like round for round they kept winning mm-hmm. um barely but kept winning and to the point where they got to the championship round and they had some zingers and i was like wow mm. this is really good uh go on social media today uh and they like they speak as though their life has been changed like and and you know in the after party as well they told me that like wow i didn't realize i was really good at this I bit my tongue a little bit like mm-hmm. let's take the really out of there but yeah you 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 had a good showing good job yeah how did it mm-hmm. feel you know and just kind of put it back on them so I don't have to confirm or deny mm-hmm. but uh on their social media they're like really proud of what they did and it was a new thing for them and and mm-hmm. I I remembered what I loved what else I loved about this show which is sometimes we will crack someone open in a way that they didn't know existed and they will start to develop a new skill set and that it was really cool to be like there there's a comic who's actually been on this show uh ashley uh Mm. who was on our uh dark crystal show Mm. um and she started off merely as an audience member and then i Asked her to be on the show. She, oh, I don't know about that. And I, I think you got something there. And and so then she went home and over prepared. And uh, and she slayed. She fucking killed. And then like we had her on the show again. And like she grew in confidence. And I told her I was like, when are you going to start doing stand up? Because you got something in you that is mm-hmm. dying to get out. Well, now she's like moved to Oakland and is like doing stand up comedy as often as she possibly can. And she's like a monster on the scene and and she does really good work. And she's incredible on like the the roast battle circuit. And she's Mm -hmm. she's a really, a really strongly developing comic. And I'm like, I really like being a part of that, that initial like, let's crack you open and show you what's shining from within. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to take credit for all of their success after that's up to them, but to, to, to be the one who says, oh, you've unlocked this new feat um, is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You're very cool. That yeah. is. That's awesome. I feel like I'm like this sagacious sidekick to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, like a much wiser Sancho. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I. So. I guess or, I can see that. Or yeah. at least a more perceptive one, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. You got any kind of a lower bar, but sidekicks yeah favorite sidekicks yeah well um i think uh my my list of favorite sidekicks would probably have to start with dr john watson that would make a lot of sense given what you've done for our podcast in terms of (laughs) the the arthur conan doyle episodes yeah and or the uh, sherlock holmes episodes so that makes sense that makes sense 
you know, um, and the thing is, um, part of my part of his appeal to me mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, I I first saw Dr. Watson on the screen, which meant that the Dr. Watson that I first was exposed to is not the true John Watson. Is this the one who was on Mystery? From channel, well, it was channel nine for us in the Bay Area, but on PBS. Uh, well, no, the very first, very first I ever saw was um, the Hound of the Baskervilles from mm-hmm. 1940. I don't know what. Oh, okay. Basil so, Rathbone. Basil Rathbone as yeah. as Holmes. Right. Um, and in those, in in those films, in that film in particular, um, he's uh, portrayed as a bumbling would be overstating it but he he you know if there's if there's a paint can he's gonna he's gonna knock his it over or stick his it. foot in it yeah kind of thing um and but he won't then go try and sit on the settee of a desk and upturn it and then yeah no he's walk not into it's an not, electric fan that's got feathers in front of it and right, yeah okay. no, yeah nothing yeah it doesn't it doesn't go that far but right. he he is he is the very human foil to Holmes's elevated genius. Okay. And the thing is, um, you know, that was the, that was the image that I had in my head for him um, up until, you know, I actually sat down and read the, the Holmes stories. Mm-hmm. And the moment you actually like read uh, Conan Doyle's writing. If you read a study in Scarlet and and the stories that immediately follow it, you very quickly realize that's that's the wrong guy. Mm. You know uh, the 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 uh, Doctor Watson of Warner Brothers is not the true Watson. To okay. to paraphrase Lao Tzu, um, he's actually uh, you know it's it's we've talked about this on the show before, but when when he first shows up in the books. You know, he specifically uh, uh, mentions, and, and it's not anything he's like bragging about. He's just giving background. Mm-hmm. You know, he explains that, well, you know, I had been uh, medically invalided, uh, you know, from my from my time with the army in Afghanistan, uh, you know, other than other than the limp that I had, you know, from a from an Afghan bullet, uh, right. you know, I was in the prime of health and brown as a nut. And you look at the things that he and Watson do in the stories. He is every bit the man of action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Holmes turns to him on several occasions and says, uh, and by the way, when we, when we go do this thing, uh, make sure you bring your revolver, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he is, he, he is this, this, uh, he, he is a competent figure in and of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you read between the lines, you get to see that he is as much an interesting figure as, as, uh, Holmes is. Okay. Um, I think he's a little bit of an author self-insert. Um, I, I think sure. he, he plays the role of, of, uh, Conan Doyle putting himself in the story, uh, partly just as a practical matter of, of, you know, thinking himself as the narrator of this story, but also Conan Doyle himself was quite the adventurer and, and, you know, athlete and, and world traveler and everything. And so 
that kind of shines through there. Um, and then he, he of course acts as the sounding board for right. Holmes's genius. Right. Um, and there, there are several times in the stories where Holmes turns to Watson and says, okay, use your brain. You, you put this together. Tell me, you know, what do you see? What are you doing? And he, he praises Watson for, okay, no, you've picked up on most of what I saw. Right. Here are the things that you missed. And it's like, you know, Watson isn't a dummy by any stretch. It's sure, just that, sure. you know, Holmes is that much farther above normal mortals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, lastly, I think, I think the biggest note that, that is, is worth bringing up is there is a very strong uh, component of um, Victorian idealized male friendship. The two of them truly are in, in, in the books, the way that Holmes talks about Watson on a couple of occasions where Holmes is the narrator of his own story. And the way that Watson talks about Holmes, it's really clear that these two guys are like brothers to each other. They, right. they really are uh, very close. And although Holmes is cat-like in his, in his general demeanor and his, his uh, willingness to, to show strong emotion very much when, when, you know, the light shines through the cracks um, it becomes very clear that these, that these two are, you know, uh, they, they truly are best friends. And I think, I think there's something heartwarming in that too. Yeah. So that's, that's my case for, for Dr. John Watson. That's a good case. And you know, yeah. what I like about him is, is what you've said, uh, kind of the hallmarks of being a, a sidekick, like an author's self insert, I think is a, it's either that, or they're an everyman so that they act as a foil to the mm-hmm. excellences of the main hero, you know? Yeah. I think that's pretty yeah. crucial to being a sidekick. I also think that I like the idea of the sounding board yeah. um, because it allow, it, it gives a narrative reason for the hero to expound <laughs> about their greatnesses. Yeah. For, for Holmes, for Holmes to say, well, okay, here's how this actually works. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also think, you know, for a good sa- sidekick, you, you should have, um, Again, it's it's a lot of the everyman just kind of bleeding into other realms. For instance, mm-hmm. uh, there's some sidekicks where they get the shit kicked out of them. Mm-hmm. And that shows the danger that's inherent in the hero's life. Yeah. Um, and then there's times where actually they're the agent of rescue for the hero. Like mm-hmm. the hero's gotten in too deep and it's only because of this sidekick that they're yeah. not, you know, meaty chunks or... Or they give the hero somebody to rescue, like when you're having a yeah. Mulden story, go get the guy from the place. Um, I think those are all like, you know, aspects of it. Um, and again, that friendship. Um, yeah. Typically, although sometimes you can have one where it's antagonistic and it's also equally fun. Um, oh, yeah. Some of those are some yeah. of those are a hoot, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I'm just trying to think of like what makes uh, for a good sidekick. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's usually like those things. I feel like there's a, a couple pieces missing. Um why don't I try? Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy named Akates uh, for Aeneas. Um, oh, okay. So okay. in the Aeneid, um, Akates is Aeneas' sidekick. Uh, he's the one that goes with Aeneas up onto the peak of the ridge line when their ship finally pulls into like a safe harbor, which if okay. you look at the description of the harbor, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is Yonic. It it really oh, is. Okay. Um, yeah, it's All got right. it's got ridges on both sides. It's got a part in the middle, and it's very very calm. The deeper you get in, um, and it's where you can pull a lot of semen into the port. So, uh, but also Doctor um, Freud, Doctor <laughs> Freud, right? Uh, right? Courtesy phone, Doctor <laughs> Freud. No, now, uh, no, I'm sorry, Red, Red, courtesy phone, <laughs> Doctor Freud. Um, and, and, uh, I, I will say, uh, that that is 100%, um, you know, long before Freud did his thing. Well, yeah. Um, but clearly, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's, he's part of, of that whole thing. Um, he's, like I said, he's Aeneas' sidekick. Um, he, I think is the one who points out the herd of, uh, deer, for lack of a better term. Uh, Aeneas fells seven stags one for each of the surviving ships of the uh of the trojans who have fled from troy right 20 20 ships to start with which again go back to what we said with conan when you follow the hero it doesn't end well for you no um and so you had a a a better than 50 50 chance of being killed if you went with aeneas um but anyway, so uh, he fell seven stags, one for each of the surviving ships. Okay. Um, and he gives uh, his men a very rousing speech of like, hey, guys, we've been through worse. Like, look at all these other places where we damn near died and we didn't. Um, okay. And so, you know, we're going to look back on this fondly and we're going to talk about how wonderful, how we're going to laugh about how shitty this was. So, okay. Here's, here's the deer. Now, kind Akati's, of a, kind of a, a no. roto um, uh, St. Crispin's Day speech. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and Akati's, I think, is the one who points points that herd out to him. Um, and in many ways, he's the Ur sidekick, not not like Enkidu. Um, different Ur. Damn it! You beat me to it. Sorry. Um, but uh, because despite the fact that he's one of the most important Trojans, according to Aeneas, he actually doesn't have an internal life at all. And I think that sidekicks have developed over time to to actually have that. But I think functionally a sidekick doesn't need that. They can be kind of two-dimensional because mm-hmm. they they are NPCs uh in the story typically. They're a they're a reflection. Mm-hmm. They're they're a they're a, a Aspect tool of. Yeah. of reflection for yeah. the for the protagonist. Yeah. yeah. So he actually is remarkable in how little character development he has um he's essentially there to be aeneas's weapons bearer um and to accompany aeneas on all his risky endeavors and otherwise he says very little i am i'm sorry i just i just suddenly pictured uh uh him him in in full you know a late classical period you know right before the sea people's Mm -hmm. elapse you know Mm -hmm. It you know bore bore tooth helmet and and linen right. curious and all that carrying a golf bag <laughs> like he, a caddy he is kind of a caddy yeah like, like you know bow bearer you know uh, I'm going, I'm going to suggest I'm going to suggest the lightweight javelin sir right well and uh, Aeneas no. draws his bow and you know and Akate's hands him uh, arrows and so I get to see him going like give me the serrated one oh, okay here you go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, he's the one who uh, is accompanying Aeneas when Aeneas is enveloped in a cloud of invisibility. 
by his mommy. Okay. Uh, when he goes and checks out Carthage, he's the one that Aeneas says, oh, look at these motherfuckers so lucky already got their city built. That's who he's talking to is Akates. Mm, um, okay. You could say he's he's wondering aloud, but he's musing to Akates on the regular um, acting as a sounding board, like you said. Yeah. He is the silent Bob to Aeneas's J. In so many fucking ways. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, God. it's fine. I just blew out levels with that one, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's too good. Yeah, so <laughs> so he's a really staunch sidekick. Uh, I and I think that a sidekick is different than someone's lieutenant because Aeneas's lieutenant is Ilioneus, um, and Ilioneus is fascinating, but Akates is the sidekick. Um, like I said, he shares in his dangers. Uh, he assists Aeneas at every turn, and he yeah. doesn't require much watering and feeding. Um, the only thing that he ever does poorly mm -hmm. is that we never actually see him get hurt to show how bad the danger is. Yeah. But also, it's not really that kind of story. Like, yeah. although, no, I take it back. The Aeneid from uh, from books like 7 to 12 is 100% that kind of story because it's the, the Rotolan War. Um, but, and, but I, Akates doesn't die, uh, as a result of that. Um, so we never see him needing rescue specifically either, which would highlight Aeneas's cunning and courage and loyalty to his men. Um, but we see Aeneas's loyalty expressed in different ways. Okay. Uh, but so. question though, sure. For the audience that the Aeneid was, was created for. The Romans in the Romans civil war, Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Akates had gotten himself captured or gotten badly wounded or gotten cut off or somehow, would that have unmanned him as a figure to that audience? Would that have been a sign of some lack of competence or anything? It would have shaken people's love of Augustus. Because Aeneas is Augustus 100%. Well, yeah. And Akates is us, the dear reader, I think. Or or oh, the okay. idealized Roman who is supposed to love Rome and therefore its emperor. Okay. Um, and Ilioneus is absolutely Agrippa and you've got other people and stuff like that. But um, Akates, I think, is supposed to be the prototypical or the, mm, the archetypical okay. uh, Roman yeah. citizen. Um, okay. Oil, steadfast. Yeah, idealized. Exactly. Okay. Um, and somewhat simple because you still have that Horatian ideal of, you know, times were better when we were simpler. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, that's, that's Akates. You All right. got another, uh, another sidekick. This is kind of fun. Uh, yeah. No, I, I just have to note here when you first yeah. mentioned the name Akates, mm -hmm. um, I, I have not read the Aeneid. Um, but I was like, where do I know that name from? Like, oh, that's... it's a term. Okay. Yeah. It's a term for, for fucking sidekicks basically. Okay. But where, where did you hear? Or um, I, I actually heard it in a, in a, uh, video game that I, oh. that I play on my, on my iPad. Oh, um, there is, there's a character named Akates who is female mm -hmm. and essentially a cleric. Um and and bears no similarity to to is the she, mythical Akates that you've that you've mentioned. Is she tied to the sea in some way? No, she's actually fire oh. element. Okay, because there is a, another 
like Acastes, I think, oh, okay. tied to the sea. She's like a Minad. Oh, I yeah. might be well, mixing people up. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, just you know, you're you're talking about a character out of out of you know Roman adaptation of Greek myth, and I'm you know thinking Roman of a character. Fan. There you go. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking of a character out of a you know Korean made gotcha game. G A C H A gotcha. Not anyway. I is this the kind of game where you ask Sarah Palin questions like what you're reading? <laughs> I would so love to have that kind of game available just like for the for the yeah. Uh but no. Um it's it's like a D game. Uh so anyway, um my I'd say my next um my next example of uh you know a, a favorite and a sidekick for me is actually gonna be a duo. Hmm. Mariadoc Brandybuck and Peregrine Took. Oh, nice. Because here's the deal. Everybody hmm. thinks that, like, you know, if you if you take a superficial look at the Lord of the Rings, sure. Frodo is the protagonist, and mm-hmm. who sticks with Frodo like glue from the Shire all the way through to you know the end of everything. Right. And that's Samwise Gamgee. And like, it's easy to look at that and go, well, you know, Samwise is clearly the sidekick. And then, you know, you, you can try to be an edgelord and say, well, no, actually Samwise is the hero. Frodo is actually the sidekick. No, that's wrong. Um, the sidekick are uh, Peregrine Took and Mary Doc Brandybuck. Um, so because their art is a very sidekicky kind of art the thing is they 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 grow out of youthful foolishness into self-sacrifice and courage that's true um and they are hobbits just like frodo and samwise but samwise is the idealized um soldier in the trenches Mm -hmm. frodo Mm -hmm. is the idealized gentleman junior grade officer, officer junior yeah. grade officer uh whereas mary doc brandybuck and peregrine took they start out being this couple of light-hearted knuckleheads right yeah i never quite understood why they come about they came along well they came along mm-hmm. in in the book it's made very clear that you know oh. frodo is their cousin and he's their their bosom friend oh, okay and so they're coming along because they don't totally understand what it is they're getting into Okay, yeah, that definitely comes across. You know, and um, so they, uh, you know, it's funny, our, our last episode was was Heroes Who Aren't, and and I would never say that Mary and Peregrine and, and Pippin were, were villains, but I did characterize the two of them in my notes for that episode as um, upper-class stoner twits. Because because that's that's they, they that's, literally are that's yeah. literally who they are, yeah. Uh, you know they're they're uh, the first time we run into them, uh, they're they're committing trespassing and crop theft. Oh, aren't they taking mushrooms or something? Yeah, they're stealing mushrooms yeah. from yeah. from a, a, a fairly you know well off farmer, but the two of them are literally gentry, mm-hmm. like right, and. Yeah. Yeah. So they they what what they symbolize so so uh, Frodo is this idealized character, Samwise is this idealized character, Merry and Pippin are their reflection as 
you know, a couple of knuckleheads who were like, well, you know, our friend's in a bad spot. We've got to go help him out in that very, you know, he's our chum. We got to, you know, like, what are we going to do, man? Right. You know, and so they're motivated by loyalty, mm-hmm. but they have no idea what they're getting into and they're way in over their head. So driven by incompetence, motivated by loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, they, they wind up over the course of the story undergoing harrowing experiences um and and through that um self-sacrifice and through that pain they grow into the roles that society expects of them they they grow into this very tolkienian idealized idea of what a good gentleman in victorian let's be honest british society would would look like Mm-hmm. And um, they are sobered up and and forced to grow up by all of these experiences. But 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 frequently throughout the series, and it's 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 played up more in the films than in the books. Um, they maintain a lightheartedness that Frodo and Sam kind of can't. Right, because of because of the burden of the ring, because of where they wind up in the story, and yeah. so they they play the role of the foil. They play the role of of comic relief, mm-hmm. um, and they show the the peril that everybody is is facing through the mistakes that mostly Pippin winds up making. Because, you know, it's worth noting uh, Pippin is the one who uh, calls the cave troll to them in, in Moria. Because okay. uh, yeah. he, he you know, causes, knocks, the knocks, the, knocks the corpse into the into the well. Yeah. Uh, and then he is also the one uh, who winds up uncovering the seeing stone uh, and, and, you know, looks Sauron basically square in the face. That's right. And then has to be separated from from the rest of the company, you know, and go with Gandalf to Minas Tirith. Right. And and so it's like that, you know, you you really it's it's one thing to be an inductive learner. It's another thing to be a slow inductive learner. Right. Like like you you can be an inductive learner like, you know, well, no, I'm going to bang my head into the wall just to see if I shouldn't. <laughs> but then if you do it again. There's, but is know, it all walls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I, you know, I don't know if this wall is actually the same brick. head. So this is good yeah. science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think they they are the ones in the fellowship who fulfill the sidekick role. Okay. Yeah. More more than anybody else. Um, yeah, and you know what they do as a sidekick also is they move the plot along. Yes, like it, maybe it's not in directions that that are linearly good, but you know, calling in all the 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 cave troll. Yeah, by knocking the corpse into the well. Yeah, that moved the plot. Yeah, it's that's that's Tolkien's version of uh, was it Dashiell Hammett who said if you ever for if if you ever can't think of what to do, have somebody kick in the door with a gun. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just have a bunch of orcs, orcs and a cave troll. Like, what are we going to do now? Like, yeah. I'm stuck. What are we going to do? 
Because you know C.S. Lewis was across the table from him going, oh, God, could you stop talking about the fucking pillars? <laughs> They're two towers, actually. Yeah, well, so. I like it. So, I yeah. like it. I like them, and I like it. All right. How about you? Um, Let's see. I'm going to tell you my favorite sidekick, or okay. one, at least one of my favorites, but okay. I, he's really high on the list, like depending on the day. Okay. Right. Um, Jack Burton. Okay. Jack Burton. And a lot of people will okay. tell you he's the hero. And he's, he's so not. not the hero. He's not. Because <laughs> while he is the white leading male in a 1980s movie that appropriates the shit out of Chinese culture, turning it into yeah. a comic book representation of itself, he's not the hero. No. The whole story of Big Trouble Little China is about Wang Chi getting his kidnapped fiance Miao Yin back from the Lords of Death who kidnapped her on behalf of David Lopan. Yeah. And at no time does Jack make an intelligent decision that helps the hero. He mostly <laughs> just absorbs the hits that would have other, otherwise gone to Wang Chi. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh my one of my favorite moments, absolute favorite moments in that movie is uh when he fires the uzi straight up into the ceiling oh i'm gonna get there yeah okay yeah Yeah. and and like like you know you watch so many movies from the 80s where you know there's just gunfire you're like what happens with ricochets and and carpenter actually actually like did that so anyway here yeah um so he can't sneak well uh he's constantly alerting others to his own presence um, he is always out of formation. He cannot operate a gun competently. It takes him the entire combat uh, to to figure out to turn off the safety and then to point it and shoot it right where it stays in his hand. Meanwhile, Wang Chi is is uh, competently handling everything. Um, yeah. When he finally does stab a mook, that mook falls over on him and keeps Jack out of the fight, out of that fight the yep. entire time. Yeah. Um, and even though he drank the potion to make everyone invincible, he still manages to shoot a hole in the ceiling, causing it to knock him out before the fight even starts. Yep. Yeah. Jack does does help rescue the women who have been imprisoned by the Lopan organization. Yeah. Um, as a good sidekick will, actually. Yeah, um, that's yeah, true. You get that the key true. Going, right? Yeah. But yeah, when yeah. it comes to fighting the main guys, he's severely outclassed. Now, at the very end, he is the one who strikes the final blow that kills the main villain. Yeah, but that's that moment where you roll a nat twenty in a campaign that has seen you roll nothing but ones. <laughs> yeah, when your luck finally shows up, right? And it's like... after everyone else has done their super special abilities, their yeah. mediocre special abilities, and all the abilities in between, yeah, and on the margins, and then he's vulnerable enough to you for you to hit that one d four times two of damage because you yeah. critted. Yeah. Um, and you still just rolled two ones on the D four. Yeah. Um but three points will do it because your dex yeah. is only a twelve. Yeah. Um Jack is a sidekick through and through, and he is comical the whole time. Yeah. Like when he's got he's got all the bravado and bluster, um, all of the audacity. Uh and nothing but Right. Exactly that. And like, so when, when uh, Gracie Long kisses him, it's left on his face and he looks like a moron. He doesn't even know he's got it on his face. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff over yeah. and over and over again. 
So yeah, Jack Burton is one of my favorite sidekicks. He is so fun. Oh yeah. No, it's that, that whole movie. The thing is I, I actually, because of the way I'm a nerd, I really want somebody from, from an actual Kung Fu uh, movie production company, you know, somebody, somebody in Hong Kong, Mm-hmm. I, I want them to take that movie and make a straight up Hong Kong action film out of it that doesn't have the sidekick in in the mainframe because that's that's an awesome exercise that Carpenter did and it and it turns out to be you know a hysterical movie but like no I I want to I want to actually see the 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 kung fu flick yeah you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it it's it's one of those wonderful I'm going to totally subvert this, but I'm gonna do it in a way that you as the audience have to really be paying attention to understand that I'm kind of playing a trick on you. Kind of way. Yeah. Because because in I remember when that movie came out and I remember how much that movie affected my peer group, you know, because mm-hmm you know, think, think about what all happened in that movie. It was, it was an amazing, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. shoot him up. And like none of and I mean, admittedly we were, you know, 12, but none of right. my peers figured out that, that, you know, the real hero was, was not Jack Burton, you know? Yeah. It wasn't until I was an adult. And I think yeah. it was, I heard an interview with Kurt Russell yeah. Where he's like, you know, I'm not the hero in this. I am the sidekick. <laughs> I am totally the sidekick here. You're like, wait. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great exercise uh by Kurt Russell playing the role. Like that yeah. he he was comfortable making an ass of himself. Oh, so much. So thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, you know, after and that's after he did Snake Bliskin. Yes, and where... and and in a meaningful way, that's a send up of Snake Bliskin, and so his mm-hmm. his willingness to do self parody, yes, is is a credit. Um, I think I agree to him. I agree. So very cool. Yeah, what you got? Uh I got to flip a coin, figure out which one of these I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with this one. There's a qualification attached to this one. Uh, Jonathan Quayle Higgins the Third VC Higgins from the 1980s Magnum oh, PI series. Yes, yes, Higgy baby, Higgy baby. Yes. <laughs> See now, here's the thing. Here's the <laughs> thing. The fact that you immediately quote uh-huh. Higgy baby. Yep. I'm I'm talking about Higgins, but in point of practical fact, uh, Rick and JT right. also deserve some credit here yes. because um, they're they're kind of Higgins writ writ smaller. I don't I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll get around to it. Yeah. So I'm so trying, Higgins, I'm trying to think. They're I mean, yeah, they're sidekicks, but they're they're almost like mooks more than sidekicks yeah they're they're his friends he calls in for certain missions but that's it honestly like higgins is to magnum what the son and tebow were to the guy in charge of mask 
Okay. And then that guy would also call in other specialists for different missions. Yeah. He never had like a full sidekick besides his son and Tebow. Did you ever watch mask? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're, yeah, you're right. Um, so, so Higgins is, is a really good example of an antagonistic sidekick. Yeah. Yep. Because, because he had for a very long time, it, it, you know, like, like these relationships often do, you know, it, 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 it develops into a, uh, we're going to bust each other's balls, but you know, you're, you're really one of my very good treasured friends kind of, kind of thing. But, but at the beginning, he has absolutely nothing but disdain for Magnum because, right. because, you know, as far as he's concerned, Magnum is this, you know, lazy freeloader. Right. You know? <laughs> and um, Higgins. That, that he doesn't understand why Robin funds him in any way. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I have and, a theory about that. Okay. But, uh, and I want to hear that mm-hmm. in a minute. But so he he's this kind of round looking penguin-esque kind of figure yeah but he's actually a very skilled combatant and he's a former mi6 operative wasn't he there to work on the bridge over river Kwai? like yeah. he was also a prisoner of war yeah yeah he and i'm served... sorry if i totally stepped on something no 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 no, yeah. no no he served in the british army from world war ii through the indochina conflict mm-hmm the VC at the end of his name is Victoria Cross, which which is very very close to Medal the of British Honor. equivalent of the Medal of Honor. Right. Or the um, Medal of Honor is the British equivalent, to, or the American. It is American equivalent of the Victoria Cross. Actually, Although maybe not. I think no, the Medal yeah, of Honor Medal predates of Honor Victoria first. Cross. Yeah. Um, and he he <laughs> Higgins may or may not be Robin Masters. Uh, that was my theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, just in, in a whole lot of ways, he, he is this amazing foil for Magnum because mm-hmm. we're, we always see one of the wonderful things about the original series. I, I didn't watch very much of the more recent one, so I can't speak to that. Yeah. But in the original series, there, there were plenty of circumstances where uh, you, you saw Magnum, in a moment of, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, there, there was, there were moments of genuine panic. Yeah. You know, um, and, and of course when it was, when it was a situation where there was a gunfight going on or there was something like that, he was, he was very cool under fire, but there were plenty of other like social situations or somebody coming in one door and other people going out the other door, you know, right. where, where we saw where we see him get flustered and you know totally having to do everything by the seat of his pants mm-hmm. and then and then we see Higgins is utterly imperturbable right right, right up to the point right up to the point where he gets frustrated and starts barking but like he's never he's he's never out of equanimity mm-hmm. like he's 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 pissed like you no know, you you idiot you know what what are you doing get get you know out of the out of the rose bushes but he's he's never he's never wrong-footed that'd be that'd be yeah. the best way to say it yeah higgins higgins is never caught on the wrong foot right um and so there's this there's this wonderful narrative kind of balance between the two of them 
and they they develop a relationship over over the course of the of the series that you know goes from absolutely detesting each other you know and magnum mm-hmm. thinking that higgins is kind of a joke to them actually having respect for one another higgins never stops being exasperated by magnum but right you know there's there's a, an understanding of one another and and a recognition of you know they, they both they both know what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah jonathan quayle higgins the third vc with honorable mention for uh rick and jt because they were navy seals too they were like, that gets that gets overlooked like right right they know, were, and they were all vietnam vets yeah yeah which by the way that show ran for like like I I remember it running for far less time than it actually did. Oh yeah, no, it was. I thought it was like a three or four year thing. It was an eight year run. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it, it ran long enough that his shorts got longer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Fashions changed over the a course bit, of the a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that uh, he was also Robin Masters. Um, was it Robin they, Masters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought they, he also was because the name Quail. Oh that. yeah, Robin, but yeah. I it also wasn't Higgins's voice when you do hear him voiced in the series. They actually they they had to retcon some things. Oh, okay. Because that makes they, sense. They 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 left it. Is it a mystery? Is it not really a mystery? You know, but in in the end, kind of the the decision was that yeah, he probably is, but it was never thoroughly established. Gotcha. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But okay. it was, yeah. So that's, that's, he's, he's another favorite just because <laughs> uh, he's just such a fun character to watch. Oh yeah. Yeah. He goes against type too. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways. So, um, okay. Well, I got one for you. Um, okay. Brain. Okay. Not pinky in the brain. Oh, okay. Penny's dog brain from Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Penny is herself a sidekick to her uncle, uh, Inspector Gadget, and brain is her muscle. Um, He is the bipedal assistant to Penny, uh, a damn near cyborg dog, although it's not actually put into his flesh. Um, But her uncle is a cyborg. um, And a bumbler uh brain is the assistant to the gal behind the computer he's the sidekick's sidekick Mm -hmm. um and he'll often take the beating and the blame uh of the idiot inspector gadget uh who regularly would mistake brain's assistance as being a matter member of mad yeah um, he All would the think, time. yeah, he would think that brain trying to save him was actually the mad agent. Meanwhile, he would befriend the mad agents and help them. Um, and yet Dr. Claw's evil criminal empire still couldn't get whatever it was trying the to whole, get. The whole show is just a cavalcade of incompetence on yes. multiple levels. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the only reason the only reason mad failed was because everybody on the mad side of things was less competent than dr claw that's true. whereas yeah. whereas inspector gadget had penny in the brain who were frankly More freakishly hyper competent yes 
Um, and actually, Claw thought uh, that the two of them were like spies. <laughs> and, yeah. And like well, recon I mean, for him. Um, yeah. He didn't. So he didn't even realize their role. Yeah. Um, but he did realize that Inspector Gadget was so woefully incompetent, which is why he was so angry every time at the end, yeah. you know, yeah. which upset the cat. Um, Brain often would take on the dangers uh, aimed at Inspector Gadget. So um, or he would like twist and contort himself into ways that made it so Gadget was safe yeah. and didn't realize he was being helped. Mm-hmm. Um, so very sidekicky there. Um often doing it at Penny's insistence, so he takes orders well. Um, and he kept Penny's secret identity secret. So he was trustworthy. Mm. Um, he also brain was the one who was the cleaner. He would take pains to cover up their involvement and never sought the credit for himself. Mm. So I think Brain also yeah. is a sidekick. Yeah. Exemplar. So, yeah. Definitely. So uh, do you want me to do another or you got another? I got I got one more. Cool, let's hear it. I got one more. Duncan Idaho. I know From that Dune. name. Dune. Dune, that's right. So in any other series, Duncan Idaho would uh, Duncan Idaho would have been the hero. Okay. In in any series that wasn't uh uh built around the idea of the main character being a super psychic white man messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan Idaho would have been the hero. He was a master swordsman, incredibly charismatic, beloved by the men under his command, uh, deeply loyal to Duke Leto and to uh, Paul by extension, uh, was a mentor figure to Paul. And um, he winds up, he's killed mm-hmm. uh, in the... Uh, uh, sand trades no yeah i hate sand uh in in the uh harkonnen attack on on dune on on house trades he's killed he he dies a heroic death and then he comes back in the second book okay because just so i know okay in the original movie the the david lynch movie yeah was that patrick stewart no, that oh, was Gurney Halleck. Gurney Halleck. You did the whole episode, another... and I was able to hang with the names then, but it yeah. clearly has, you know, it has away from evaporated. Me. Yeah. No, I just, there's like there's too many characters. Yeah. 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 As Good. many characters as there are grains of sand on Dune. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you yeah, know, uh, Patrick Stewart played Gurney Halleck. Interestingly enough, in the David Lynch version of of the movie, I do not remember the name of the actor who played Duncan Idaho. Okay. Because it wasn't Sting. His his performance. No, no, no. His Sting was Fade Rautha. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> Sting Sting played Sting playing Fade Rautha. <laughs> famously like um but uh so he's he's this master swordsman he's this charismatic figure and he you know takes i don't remember how many sardaukar with him when he when he dies okay um and then he winds up showing up in the second book because one of the other factions mm-hmm. the ixians have this biotech where they can take genetic material and grow a clone. 
uh, and they can do this from dead tissue. And so the name, the 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 name of this technology is someone comes back as a gola. G H O L A. That's really close to another word, mm-hmm. isn't it? Though, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, he he comes back, and um, it is very clearly like there are so many wheels within wheels within within all of the plotting of Dune. Uh, the Ixians show up at court, and they say, "We have we have a present for you. Here is, you know, a gola of your boon companion and your you know friend from childhood, uh, Duncan Idaho." And they have programmed, without telling uh, Paul Atreides this, of course, uh, they have uh, they have programmed the Gola to assassinate Paul. There's okay. there's deep subconscious programming that at a, at a very specific time in very specific circumstances, he is to kill uh, Paul Muad'Dib. But knowing that Paul Muad'Dib is the most powerful psychic in the universe they have programmed him in a way to try to avoid all seeing the knife coming. So the Gola obviously doesn't know that he's been programmed to do this. They have trained him as a Mentat and a Zen Sunni mystic master. Okay. The Zen Sunni thing, that's the, is that the thing that the, uh, oh God, what are the Dora Milaje? Um, of Dune, uh, bald women who kick a the lot of ass. Benny, Benny Jesuit, Benny Jesuit. The door, is that the, yeah, is that the thing that the Benny Jesuit do? No, oh, okay. No, Zen Sunni is an example of Herbert taking, uh, I remember it was real life, real life, yeah, 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 yeah. syncretizing different things to show just how right. far in the future this all is, right? So he's 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 this Zen Sunni, you know, essentially Zen man with overtones of Islam um, and he is a mentat so he's a human computer and they say and this is our gift to you now golas do not remember their lives they are they are a new personality and no gola has ever remembered its prior life and also no gola has ever overcome its programming Duncan Idaho is so loyal to Paul Muad'Dib that when the moment comes for him to assassinate him, mm-hmm. he cannot do it. Oh, okay. And in the process of throwing off the programming, he remembers his life before. Mm-hmm. And, and so his, his, his dedication and his love for Paul and Paul's family is so powerful that he's able to do what no Gola has ever done before. Which is about as sidekicky as you get. Yeah, I'd say. You know, and yeah. and he winds up going from there to being, you know, one of Paul's most loyal figures. He winds up being the commander of the fish speakers. Uh, which is the the religious part of the religious arm of Paul's empire? So he's a gola fish. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't even, can't even. So yeah. Um, and then later on, he winds up becoming a full deuteragonist after Paul dies. Um, he but even even as a deuteragonist, 
he is still driven by his loyalty to Paul. Okay. And Paul's memory is still his driving motivating force. Yeah, that's that's pretty damn sidekicky. Yeah. That's 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 the the like if you were to create like a circle, right? Yeah. Uh, and you could see, you know, it's like those those quizzes that we then found out were being used to target us for social media mm-hmm. stuff when we were all so yeah. young on on Facebook and yeah. not realizing so how much we were the 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 product. Um, you know, where it's like I'm seventy percent Leia and twenty percent Kylo Ren and three percent this and all that, yeah. right? Um, I, I wish we could do that and like rank these sidekicks this way. Yeah. Um, which you know, may, maybe in a later episode, like uh, rank, yeah. you know, now that we've done all the sidekicks, make our arguments for the best. Um, but um, it's funny. I had uh, I I had a therapist tell me once, um, that what was it? It was along the lines of, oh, you could watch a sunset and enjoy the sunset. But in your mind, you would be ranking it amongst the best and worst sunsets that you've ever seen. You know, it's like there is no lie there, none whatsoever. <laughs> Shit, you found me out. Yeah, you know. But uh, so I don't. Maybe we don't yeah. have to make a best of. But uh, yeah, we could. Yeah, but uh, but uh, you know, it, it feels like his loyalty is maxed out. Yeah, you know. Uh, oh yeah. Where, whereas the everymanness of Jack Burton is maxed out, and the comedy is also maxed out. You know, it's yeah. that kind of yeah. it's that kind of thing. Or well, actually, Pippin and and um, ooh, Mary, Mary, yeah, uh, their comedy is maxed out. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, just develop like six or eight qualifications, and you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I've got it one for up. you. Who fills up the most of the chart? Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and you could like really just like number it in. Like Bret Hart did this. He said, every wrestler, there's three things that every wrestler has to do. Cut a promo, do okay. ring work, and uh like engage the crowd. Okay. And he said, uh, and you just rank it based on you know one to ten. He said, the most I ever was at, at a promo was maybe a seven. Um, but, uh, I was, you know, easily a 10 when it came to the technical and engaging the crowd, I was probably a nine. Um, and he kind of gave his judgment on, he's like, Shawn Michaels was way better at, at, uh, cutting a promo, but (laughs) he was not as strong in the ring, but Mm -hmm. not by much, you know, it was not that big of a difference and he could really engage the crowd. He said, Hulk Hogan could cut a promo and engage the crowd. (laughs) So like <laughs> he and Shawn Michael and the yeah. funny thing is Hulk Hogan actually does know how to chain wrestle or he did back then because he was yeah. trained by actual Japanese wrestlers and, and stuff. Um, but uh, he you know, he also you got to treat Hulk Hogan like we treat Stan Lee, like not a reliable narrator. <laughs> yeah, a showman. Um, yeah. But uh, for instance, uh, he said, you know, he he considered himself probably about a 27 and Shawn Michaels was probably a 28. Um, okay. or something along those lines. And he said Hulk Hogan was like a 23. Okay. But, you know, given the era, a 23 was all you needed and or it was the right kind of combination and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, 
different categories got weighted differently. Exactly. You know, so rating these guys. So, all right. So I've got one for you. Um, All right. I think uh, a really good sidekick to mention because of his versatility as a sidekick um, is going to be Han Solo. Okay. Han Solo, another unlikely sidekick. I will give you that, uh, but he's definitely a sidekick. First of all, he's a sidekick to Luke Skywalker 100% on Luke Skywalker's journey. That's the whole original trilogy is Luke's journey. Han is is literally along for the ride. Yep. Um, He comes in and helps. He affects a rescue about once a movie, um, but he also largely blunders into the danger that requires others to step in and rescue him. So... I'm just thinking of running running down the hall with Chewbacca after the That's storm the very troopers. next sentence. Yeah. Yeah. In episode four. He's uh he seems like the more experienced and seasoned veteran compared to Luke, but he is immediately exposed for showing his ass to Obi-Wan um when Obi-Wan's in the room because he brags about his ship being uh the ship that uh you know did the Kessel run in less than twelve parsecs. Yeah. As it was written at the time. Parsec is a form of distance, not a form of time or measurement thereof. Mm -hmm. And the look on Obi-Wan's face is this guy's full of shit. He just used a a measurement of (laughs) distance, not time. Now, what happened in the books was they were like, well, actually, if you think of it as being distance, it's because (laughs) you're slinging through different, uh, uh, black holes and the closer you go is the shorter distance but then it's more dangerous and and so he basically slingshotted through a whole bunch um mm-hmm. and so he he yeah. basically ran the inside of the track as opposed to the outside of the track you know yeah. the outsides where it's safer the insides where it's dangerous so but as it was written um he brags about his ship which goes you know in less than 12 parsecs uh and obi-wan gives just this knowing look clearly han's full of shit right yeah yeah um and han wants to fight when he's caught up in a tractor beam and obi-wan has to talk him out of it um you know you you can't win but there are alternatives to fighting um and then when obi-wan comes up with a rescue plan han doesn't have anything better but he complains the whole time anyway um and then when it's finally luke and han together han is an inert agent he just wants to sit there luke has to come up with all the ideas and all the efforts to get everything going princess i didn't hear anything about any princess you know better her than me Mm -hmm. that whole thing he's sitting there with his feet up um and as soon as they start to see some stormtroopers this is what you're talking about han goes running after them and immediately runs into you know in, Every in stormtrooper on level eighty-two. Yeah, if you're going you to know, the, the yeah. latest edition of it, yes. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it was like six of them had turned around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on their own space station, like they know yeah. the fucking ray, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which ends in him like, ah, and then you know having to run quickly while everybody else is setting up uh, for him to get out of there. Uh, it was after all Obi Wan who disabled the tractor beam. Yes. And yes. Han absolutely comes back to save Luke from Vader in the trench. He has the moment of cowardice. He is kind of the everyman of all of us. Also, if you remember the episode I did on smuggling and sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, there's that. Uh, but he does come back to save Luke from Vader in the trench. Some mm-hmm. people have likened that to he he's flying the equivalent of an 18-wheeler and and lobs a, a lucky shot on the greatest 
uh, pilot that ever existed. Mm. Um, but sidekicks often do distract the big baddie from being able to kill the main hero. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that Han's not amazing. He absolutely is. He's just a sidekick. And he's constantly providing the bravado and the comic relief and the occasional help. Yeah. Um, Han is set up to be a foil to Luke's earnest idealism with his blustering cynicism that covers a heart of gold. Okay. On Hoth, he saves Luke again, kind of in a Sanjo Panza kind of way. He mm -hmm. puts him in a lukewarm tauntaun and sets up a shelter. I want to say that I'm not <laughs> going to dignify that with a response, but saying that is a response. Yeah. So I'm just going to go straight to the end and say, fuck you. <laughs> And you know yeah. I've heard that one before, but it still oh, yeah. it still stings. God. Well, it's the fact that I said a lukewarmed tauntaun. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the audio <clears throat> might have cut out. I don't know, yeah. but uh, like any good squire would, though. I mean, he yeah, does oh, yeah. what a squire does. He yeah. sets up a shelter, um, for his knight. Yeah, uh, and that's that's about where his rescuing the hero ends. Actually, from then on, it's Luke saving him. Uh, yeah, which is also very sidekicky. Um, which which is part of the hero arc. Yeah, absolutely. You know. You know, start proving your power by saving your sidekicks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what I find fascinating is that Han is not just a sidekick to Luke. He's also a sidekick to Leia. Yep. Everything that he does for Luke, he does for Leia, including getting her into and out of the same danger that he got into in the first place. Um, for instance, the uh, the Exomorph, um, the Exogorth, sorry, um, the, uh, the giant uh, asteroid worm. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, um, and he needs rescue from her, too, right? So he he does the rescuing a fair amount in episode five with her, gets her off of Hoth, gets her out of... And, and every rescue he does goes poorly um, yeah. until, until uh, they all get caught, and then he gets put into Carbonite. And then she saves him. Yep. It's her plan in episode six. It's her er, episode six. It's her efforts. It's her immediate effort, especially that saves him from the carbonite. She gets him out of it. Uh, in fact, he's screwed up so comically badly that the entire first act of episode six is, which is the final installment of the Holy Trilogy. Um, it's taken up with the ensemble having to rescue the sidekick from a problem of his own making. Mm hmm. And it's interesting because he's Leia's sidekick for similar reasons. She's the pragmatic idealist, not the earnest idealist. Yeah. And he's now the one who obsesses about her rescue on Endor. Yes. She's far more practical about when he leaves in episode four. She's like, he's got to find his own path. We can't yeah. find it for him. But like, he's like, okay, I know that we need to save everybody from the Empire by knocking this thing out. But Leia's missing. So you guys go ahead and go without my leadership and I'm going to go find Leia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not even. Yeah. You, you, you say that in a, in a, in a way that points up the kind of self-centeredness of it all. Um, but I'm also going to say, you know, based on his track record, maybe there was a chance they'd do better without his air quotes leadership it's also true but like, he didn't choose for that reason yeah no, I, I i know i know but from a, <laughs> but you're right from an outside observer standpoint it's like oh. this is the best thing that could have happened to the expedition from a certain point of view from a certain point of view yeah yeah now that's not even why han is the best sidekick 
He's the best sidekick because the fact is he's Chewbacca's sidekick. <laughs> yeah, because because yeah. uh, Obi Wan actually starts out by doing all the negotiations with, with Chewbacca Chewie. in the beginning. Yes, yeah, and Chewie has a clear mission that Han is perpetually de- derailing. Okay, so for like forty years, Chewbacca has far more experience in the fight against evil, yeah. which Han is persistently <clears throat> and comically distracting him from. Chewie is trying to rescue his family. Chewie is constantly having to instead rescue Han from problems of his own making with Crimson Dawn and later Jabba the Hutt. And I'm not saying that Chewbacca is infallible as a good hero. He does get them all trapped by the Ewoks because he smelled meat. Um, yeah. But that singular mistake pales in comparison to the fact that Chewbacca effectively helped the Jedi, including both Yoda and Ahsoka Tano. He had been a member of the Rebellion. He had freed uh, his family on Life Day with Han helping him out. Um, And he helped Han Solo, all while sidetracking from his main mission of rescuing his people from the Empire. Even after Han gets murdered by his own son, Chewbacca continues to help the cause for which he had been fighting for over 50 years at that point. Han was just along for the ride. So, I Mm. submit to you that Han Solo is one hell of a sidekick. He just sidekicks for everybody. Everybody. Yeah. You know what that actually makes him? What's that? That makes him the Dan Aykroyd. He's the utility man. Ooh. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I... (laughs) I especially like the coming around to no, no, no. He's also Chewie's sidekick. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you, you look at the way the movies are structured, and you think you think it's one way, but no, 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 yeah. no. It's it's a it's they pulled a Jack Burton on you there. They really did. That's yeah. that's that's the er Jack Burton. Yeah, the Jack Burton. <laughs> Burton. Yeah. Yeah. All uh, right. You got another one? I do not. Do you? All right. I, I do. I will okay. I will end with this one so that we can okay. we can save another one for, okay. for later. Sounds um, good. Because yeah, I, I will end uh with a short one. Um Subutai. Thief. Yes. Archer. Thief and Archer. He is Arcane. I pray to the everlasting sky. That's right. Your God lives beneath him. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about the sidekick from Conan the Barbarian. Um like Han Solo, Subutai is rescued by the hero. In this instance, it's Conan the Barbarian who rescues Subutai from being dinner for wolves um, as he holds up his manacles mm-hmm. and they both start laughing. Um, he is the perfect complement to Conan the Barbarian. Where Conan is strong, Subutai is lithe. Where Conan is power, Subutai is cunning. And Conan's mission is his own. And Subutai is like, shit, yeah, I'll come along. Um, and he signs on to help. He has... He has yeah. nothing better to do. Really? I mean, he's dinner for a wolf. Yeah. Like, like uh, honestly, he's he's kind of life debted. Kind is, of is kind of part of it, you know. But yeah. like, he never says it. He never says, "My people say that if you save a life, mm. then you you know." No, he's just like, "Yeah, no, this is cool." In fact, in a deleted scene of the movie, they're having kind of a Captain Ahab movement, and I I liked that it was deleted because to me, that movie again absolutely undersung in its brilliance yeah 
it's about a accidental man yeah who is so emotionally damaged by watching his whole village get slaughtered that he doesn't have any expression for anything other than violence usually yeah well john millius decided to have a scene in there where conan is remembering the winds he's like i remember days like this and the blueberries would be so ripe and the winds would blow and then 20 years of pitiless combat and he starts and it's just it's very ham-fisted uh and then he turns to subutai he's like you know it's not too late basically you could still run you could get out of here you don't have to be there because they're setting up for the battle of the mounds mm-hmm. and subutai is like ah the winds are just blowing me back with even worse company now that's very telling about subutai um yeah. But it's a it's a really shitty scene. So I was <laughs> I was really bummed when it got put back yeah. in in the director's cut. Um, but yeah, so Subutai has no particular quarrel with the snake cult led by Thulsa Doom. Um, he doesn't really care about the princess. Uh, he's down for the money. Don't get me wrong, because mm-hmm. they're offered a ton of money by by King Osric. Yeah. Um, uh, take all that they can carry. You know, enough to be uh, become kings themselves one day. Right. Yeah. But he does join Conan on every single one of his efforts to thwart and destroy Thulsa Doom. He's there to help Conan steal the Eye of the Serpent, which is really just Conan's way of trying to impress Valeria. Um, he's literally Conan's weapons bearer in that snake room, in that pit, because he mm-hmm. throws him the machete that yeah. helps him finish off the snake. Um, so he is both Han Solo and Acastes. Um, uh, Acastes. Uh, and, and then he helps him to steal the princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, which is that really cool. They painted themselves with the, the black paint scene, mm-hmm. um, yep. which apparently was really fucking awful for all of the actors involved because really? yeah, well to get through having all that paint on you and to sweat through it and not have it run, there are certain kinds of paint you need to use. It's like oh, soap no. paint or something. Yeah. Oh, God. So, you know, then you go to the shower and you put the solution on it and it dissolves it off, right? Well, the hotel they were staying at in Spain, because remember, Spain was going through like a civil war right around the time of the filming. The hotel they were staying at, uh, the water stopped working that night. So none of them could get out of that makeup and it was itchy as fuck. The same thing happened to Rowdy Roddy Piper in WrestleMania 7, by the way. Um it's oh i will send you pictures of it um so roddy piper is fighting bad news brown uh normally referred to as bad news allen but Mm -hmm. uh, in the wwf they called him bad news brown um and he's fighting and it's two brawlers right and they set up a really good storyline well roddy piper decided that he was going to paint half of his body black and the other half he's just going to leave white and so bad news brown would have to then fight two men Roddy Piper and the hot Scott. Bad news Brown's black. Yeah. And so it's it was like there's there's overtones there. The, that are... the, I don't even think there's overtones. No, like it's okay. the whole tone. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah. After WrestleMania. And so it had to be the certain kind of paint that you needed a solution to get it off because you're not gonna otherwise you're just gonna sweat right through it, as we've seen with Sting's makeup, for instance. Yeah. Well, the, he did the match, you know, and, and whatnot. Um, and, and Brown just kind of shrugged it off in terms of like, you know, does that bother you? He's like, nah, it's fucking wrestling. Like, it's, it's cheap heat is what it is. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, 
some of the wrestlers decided to rib Roddy and they dumped all of the solution to get the paint off down the drain. So when he came back, there's no solution. I, I or or they got rid of the cold cream. I forget what it was, but he had no solution to pull it off. So he was in the the shower scrubbing for like half an hour, like to the point of like raw skin, and it's oh god, sealed in black. Ugh. And he had to fly home the next day, uh, on the plane, and so he's still like that. And I guess he bought a really large Mickey Mouse doll for his daughter. And they made him pay for an extra ticket for it on the airline. And so he's just miserable as fuck for it. Um, which <laughs> poor guy, but at the same time, maybe, maybe don't blackface. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, 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 you deserved that and you had that yeah. coming. Yeah. 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 Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so yeah. that, that kind of paint was on yeah. all of those actors, uh, and they could not rub it off. Um, uh, until like a couple days later. So it that was fucking awful. Uh but yeah, Subutai, uh he he fights um at the Battle of the Mounds shortly yep. thereafter. Um gets stabbed in the hip, if I recall correctly, I think uh, so. by a spearman. Um stays alive. Uh but uh by that point he kind of uh it, he also cries on behalf of Conan when yeah. Valeria is being given her funeral pyre. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, the we don't see him ever again. Mm-hmm. Um. After that, uh, after they chase off Thulsa Doom, and, ah, ha, 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 you know. Yeah. Um. And uh, because then Conan sneaks in and kills Thulsa Doom himself, and then the movie yeah. ends. Um. But but yeah, he yeah. is one hundred percent the very useful, helpful, mm-hmm. uh, dedicated for no explanation whatsoever sidekick. Yeah. So. Definitely. Yeah. So I like that. That is, that is where I will stop for the day. As far as that goes, I've I've got more. I've got, uh, Lordy, uh, about eight more. Oh, wow. All right. (laughs) And probably more will come to me as we come to another episode of this. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anything that you've gleaned on sidekicks? Well, um, not so much gleaned, Mm -hmm. but, um, there was a, a running joke for a long time between me and Bishop O'Connell mm. um, about um, which one of us was the sidekick. <laughs> uh, we'd, we'd end emails or messages to each other with, and by the way, you're the sidekick. That would be uh, your, your email. Yeah. Nice. Um, and uh, we have, I think, come around to the understanding that no, actually, we both are. I was gonna like, say that from the jump. Yeah, um, we're we're both. Yeah, we're we are we are one another's sidekick. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and I've I've just kind of had that in in the back of my head the whole time we've been talking about this. So, yeah, um, I think I think it's it's an underappreciated trope. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would think. Agree. It, the, the term gets thrown around with kind of disdain, but I think narratively, narratively, it's an important role in the story. I agree completely. You know? Yeah. So how about you? Um, Now I'm curious as to which one of us is the sidekick. Um, and I don't, I don't, 
I don't think either know. of us is. I don't. Actually. Yeah, I don't think we. Do, we so don't while you and that. Bishop are both the sidekicks, neither of us is. Neither the of us here. is. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> we're we're deuteragonists. Yeah. yeah. Um. I. I. Um. I'm deeply attracted to sidekicks as a concept. Um. You know, I've told you before, like when I watch lion dancing, Chinese lion dancing, um, mm-hmm. I love watching the rear. Um, yeah. Because that guy is, if he's good the whole lion comes alive and don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. The, the guy in the front is doing all kinds of cool acrobatics, but guess who's holding them up. Guess yeah. who's like, you know, posting for yeah. him and stuff like that. Like, and, and my love of, you know, Hufflepuff, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Like I think, and you know, looking in, in baseball or basketball rather, um, I mm. always like uh, how many assists did a guy get, you know, that, you know, how much did you help the next guy? Um, I don't know. I've just, I've always really, really liked, that role the support the support players yeah um maybe because you know everybody likes the hero and the hero is is there and and is obvious but i really like you know what it is it it goes back to and this is one of the ones that um that if not my favorite the one i admire the most Mm. uh one of the sidekicks that i have not yet uh analyzed for us and that is falcon and in the mcu he says it uh he says i do whatever he does i just do it slower (laughs) <laughs> and sidekicks do that mm-hmm. man they yeah. they are the wedge to the luke they are the falcon to the cap they mm-hmm. are and by the way falcon is the only one that cap has ever actually tapped and said i want him to carry the mantle specifically yeah he never said it about bucky he never said it about jack he never said it about anybody else but he did say it about sam um but yeah i really really like um sidekicks i and i think it's ultimately the the desire um, to go in and do the same thing as the hero without mm-hmm. anywhere near the ability of the hero. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I also want to bet with myself that the first sidekick you'd mentioned would be Dr. Watson. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As soon as you said that, I was like, I knew it. Okay. So anything you want to recommend reading wise? Um, I'm going to continue recommending. Uh, so I guess this kind of makes me the sidekick this evening. Uh, I'm going to continue recommending uh, Bishop O'Connell's work uh, to Gunwich, um, just because it's it's over and over and above the fact that he's my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is an amazing work, um, and and touches on some themes that I think are not only important but compelling. Mm. So. Okay. How about you? Uh, actually, Captain America and the Falcon: The <clears throat> Complete Collection. It's a it's a trade paperback now. It's the Christopher Priest run. Um, okay. And it's a a like I said, trade paperback of a graphic novel, obviously. Um, but it is uh, it's good stuff. It really does show the dynamic of uh, a sidekick, obviously. Um, and and what I guess I what I like about it is that um. First of all, he is uh, one of the first black writers and editors to work in comics. Um, mm-hmm. He also wrote uh, Black Panther. Mm. Um, and uh, he, the the author, I mean, he's he's taking a look at these two guys in a post-Civil War world. Um, and I, I really like it. Um, just, yeah. Um, all right. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately... <laughs> 
it falls in the same problem that Captain America always falls into. It's where it's kind of Cap's villains are dull, oh, um, and okay. the stories can can lend themselves to dullness. But I think his take on it, um, and by the way, Modok is in it. I love Modok. Hmm. Um, but uh, his take on it uh, really livens up the relationship between Cap and Falcon, and that pretty appropriate to what we're talking about. So very cool. Social media, where can they find you? I can be found on TikTok at Mr. Underscore Blaylock. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at E.H. Blaylock. And um, we collectively can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. And on the internet, we can be found at www.geekhistorytime.com. You're listening to this, so you have found us already, either on the website I just mentioned or on uh, Stitcher or on the Apple Podcast app, wherever it was that you found us, please subscribe. Uh, please give us the five stars that you know we deserve. And uh, where can you be found? You could find me on December 2nd at uh, Luna's uh, doing Capital Punishment with the Capital Punishment crew. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Harmony. Uh, and duh harmony one on uh, TikTok. Uh, if you want some puns, uh, I can't promise any new content uh, as of late because uh, I, I honestly, the V series broke yeah. me for a month. I have not written any new content until today. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, based yeah. on based on the amount of writing you did and the emotional trauma that was involved. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's but, fair. Uh, that's totally I would fair. like to get back to writing fun puns yeah. for that because that was yeah. that was that was always a, a good time. So uh who knows? Maybe by the time you listen to this, uh, I will have done that. So anyway, check that out. Um and other than that, uh for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time. Keep rolling 20s.